our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio. AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH My, oh, my, that fog is uh, dense in the low-lying areas. Driving to work, though, when I topped the hill around Peach Ridge, it was clear as could be. Very weird. Hey, we're getting our update today from the chief of our Athens City Fire Department, Bob Reimer. That's right, he's our guest today via telephone. He caught a mild cold and didn't want to expose us to it. So he'll be via telephone this morning. Right here on the party line. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing today? We're doing well. And, um... Yeah, it's this fog is really weird. Um, but uh, are you in an area where there's some of it? Oh yeah, I still have a little fog at my place here out on the ridge, yeah. but uh, just like you said, in the low lying areas right now, it's really I have thick. more pollen than fog, so I'm not sure it's pollen or fog. <laughs> well, <laughs> whichever it is, it's uh, hard to see. Anyway, listen, um, I, I was just thinking back. How long now have you been the chief? of the Athens Fire Department? Uh, a little over eight years. is March 2014. Okay. And About eight and a half years. Were you a member of it uh, in a, in a re- different capacity before? Yes. Yeah, I started in November of 93 as a firefighter, then lieutenant in 97, and then chief in 2014 when Chief Troxel left. Sure. Bob Troxel, you bet. Have you ever gone fishing with him? Oh yes, <laughs> it's it's an experience up on Lake Erie, isn't it? Yes, well, he's enjoying retirement and rubbing it in. So there you go, there you go. Well, listen, um, you know we've we've um, had you on the show. I don't know, at least once a year, sometimes more often. But um, there's been some things going on that uh, we need to be caught up to date on. And okay. uh, one of them, of course, is the fact that the city would like to have a new fire station location. And um, the, the the reason is, I, as I understand it, is that the building that you currently, your primary building, which is um, up at the top of Columbus uh, Road there, kind of across from, what is that, Dairy Queen and other things, um uh, there's some structural concerns about it, right? Correct. There's ongoing issues and repairs that are, are being necessary to keep it standing. Uh, since 2005, I believe we put about 575000 into it, to from roof replacement to uh, structural steel put underneath of the building, shear walls or concrete walls to keep the building from falling down, um, new windows, things of that nature. So there's ongoing repairs to it. And, and the last set of repairs we had done was at the recommendation of an engineer who had taken a look at it and said, okay, this is temporary. It's a Band-Aid. You've got about two, most three years to get out of the station. It's, it's no longer conducive for a fire station with the, the heavy trucks. Can it be used for something else? Uh, that is quite possible, but no, no longer for a fire station. Mm-hmm. Now, um, <coughs> how long ago was that statement made? Uh, I believe it was last year sometime. Okay. Yeah. And since then, we've had the, the public safety uh, equipment levy passed. This is not for staffing. It's just for public safety services equipment, such as the, the main goal is the station replacement, um, training center, um, truck replacement, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So that's we'll, thank you to we'll, the citizens that, that passed that. We'll, um, we'll cover some of those as we get along here. Okay. Um, as, as, um, and so um, the city looked around, or somebody did, and 
thought maybe at the end of Stimson would be a possible location, right? And uh, yes, it, what 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 that was uh, part of the study. And, and so that um, that recommendation, as the more people studied it, and I'm talking about the authorities, the more that looked mm-hmm. like a good choice. And yet there was some pushback, right? There was, yes. And, and that was from, what, people that lived in that region? Uh, that would be my assumption, yes. It's people in that, uh, the, that area, that neighborhood, with concerns about noise and light pollution, uh, extra traffic through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Columbus Road, uh, as I think about it, there's some homes right up there near where you are. Um, do those folks um, express concerns about noise when you folks have to roll in an, emer- in an emergency? No. No, I haven't heard anything. I've, I've had from the open houses that we had when we were talking about the, the design phase of the new station's location, we had uh, one or two neighbors that had come from that area and said, well, the fire trucks go past our, our house every day. You get used to the sirens. It's, it's comforting to know that they're right there, right out my front door if I actually have something. It says, but at, at a time, it used to be it was an issue, but they say, no, it, it doesn't bother them at all. But we haven't heard from any of the other neighbors yeah. as to whether or not that's a, a continual problem. Now, um, so there was a, a good bit of um, pushback, again, I'll use that expression about the proposed Stimson Avenue location. Um, has that caused um, that to be abandoned, that concept, or is it still being reviewed? It's still being reviewed. Uh, last, uh, well, I don't know if you want to call it reviewed. They started the readings in council last night to purchase the property from the university at the end of Stimson Avenue. Oh, that, that uh, first reading was last night. Okay. Yes. Yep, so there are two more readings, and then assuming that uh, it, the deal goes through and that the appraisal value is, is uh, suitable for both parties and the state, um, then it should go through, and we're hoping October they will start putting dirt in there. Okay, so the project appears to be moving forward. Yes. All right. Well, um, if... Um so, had you heard any, oh, what do you want to call it, um, any, anybody give you any report from last night? Were there people there to object? I watched it online and did not see anybody get okay. up to speak of it. So, Okay. Um, now, light pollution. Uh, gee, I've driven by the uh, fire department a number of times at night, our current fire department, and I haven't seen anything in terms of light pollution. That strikes me a little odd. Um, the building that would be built, uh, I know architects haven't exactly designed it yet, but it should probably be the same size as what you have now, right? The current station we have now? Yes. Oh, no. No, absolutely not. It's The current station we are now is extremely small, and we've grown out of it. Okay. Um, so how much larger would it be? Uh, at least twice the size. If not larger. I think it's projected somewhere around 24, yeah, 24,000 square feet. Okay. Two-story. So the uh, first story would be the vehicles. And well, no, the, it's going to have two-story and administrative uh, and residential, well, I guess residential, living quarters uh, for the firefighters would be the two-story section. Then it'll be one-story section for the vehicles. Oh, okay. Off the side yeah, of it, basically. I get it. I get it. And um, so... Um, are there some drawings that people can look at? I believe 
also, I think, on the city website. I don't want to tell you wrong, but yeah. I believe on the city website there was a link to the fly-through design and some basic floor plan drawings when we were doing the conceptual and the open open house. Uh, I know that was on there where people can go and look at it. Uh, whether or not that's still up there, I cannot tell you. That's a question I'd have for uh, for the IT and for the government channel. Now, we do have another fire station, right? Yes. And that's out on Richland? Yes. Um, and everybody's pleased with that facility? Again, it's a little small. Uh, we would like to um, remodel it in the future, bring it up to uh, today's standards as far as the what the new station designs and stuff are into now is, is the health factor uh, for the, the quarters and, the, and for the firefighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, separating where the diesel fumes don't dump into the living quarters because our sleeping quarters are right next to and eating and everything else is right next to where the bays are. So you turn on the trucks, diesel fumes waft into under the doors or get into the living quarters, and, and now you have them in there. So what they create now in the new design, especially for our new station, they call it hot, warm, and cold zones. The hot zone is where the trucks are the filthy gear. The warm zones is where you take your dirty gear to go get it deconned, cleaned up, um, the shower facility and everything else, and then you go into the cold zone, which is the living quarters and the offices to keep all that stuff out because of the, the cancer issue that we have for firefighters today. So I would like to upgrade Station 2, bring that up, um, upgrade the the living quarters in there, make it a little bit larger so we can put um, bigger trucks in there because the trucks are only getting bigger uh, and to be able to hold more equipment. We've got to currently have an outbuilding behind the station now to where we're storing our pickup truck for a brush truck and our, our old antique truck and things of that nature. So to make it a little bit better out there, uh, it's 1968 is when that station was built on a concrete slab. So the foundation issues uh, like we have at headquarters are, are not a concern. But it, again, it's just too small. And the guys have done a, a terrific job as far as upgrading, uh, painting, things of that nature, and new cabinets. Uh, the, the administration's done a terrific job. We just had to have the the HVAC unit replaced. Mm-hmm. Because when they built the building, all the ductwork ran underneath of the concrete in the ground. Well, since 1968, all the ductwork had rusted away. And it was just blowing through dirt holes, basically. So we had to put it all above ground now. Well, it sounds like they've kept it up in good shape. And, um, well, that's um, so city council continues to, um, to look favorably on what's needed here. Now, the dollars that are needed, the city has... Essentially, the voters have approved what's needed, right? Correct. So um, that's not particularly a part of a concern. Um, and it's, I think it's important to, um, to do it and to do it right. Now, let's, uh, let's talk uh, numbers. And I don't mean, gee, I'm moving from money to people. How many people do you feel are required to be firefighters to take care of a city the size of Athens? Hang on. <coughs> Sorry about that. That's, um, that's why you're at home. You're trying to get better. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, it depends on the standards you look at. Okay. We've had studies done. You look at the NFPA standards of how many firefighters it takes for a, I think it's a 2,000-square-foot home. It's a small two-story residential. We're saying 10 to 12 firefighters on scene in the first five minutes to fight a fire. Um, that just is just a basic right there. When the study we had in 97, I believe, said it would take approximately 24 firefighters on scene in a certain amount of time in order to fight a dorm fire. And many of our dorms aren't sprinklers. They are upgrading them. The new ones being built have sprinkler systems to them, but there's still some other ones out there. Yeah. So do I, is it feasible to save 24 firefighters on, on duty every day? I don't believe so. Uh, I would think the city of Athens, it would be great to see a minimum of 10 firefighters on, on duty every day. 
uh, with the demand of services for everything that they have to do, as well as the safety factor of how many can we get there within you know the first five to ten minutes in order to get the fire knocked down and get everything under control. Is there some sort of requirement that says, um, gee, you're a firefighter, you need to live within a certain distance of one of the stations? We have a residency requirement uh, in our contract currently that is a one-hour drive time from the from the closest fire station. That's that's quite a long time. But it's a long time, yeah. and the issue we're having is we can't get people. Uh, we're one of the only departments that have an actual residency requirement try and get people that are around this area because of such a, the low staffing uh, where you have other departments up up north Columbus areas that they don't have one but they have plenty of firefighters on duty so they don't have to call their firefighters back is there an issue with finding personnel there's an issue nationwide and it's not just here it's it's, it's every department is having they're doing lateral transfers they're implementing that into fire departments across the nation to try and Rob from Peter to pay Paul deal to bring in five. Hey, we'll pay you twenty thousand dollars more if you come work for us, and you don't have a residency requirement, and you get to do this every day type deal. Um, we'll give you more seniority and more vacation if you come in. So there, it's a nationwide issue. The last test we gave was the most that I've seen in a long time, and there was twenty six people that showed up for it when I took it back in ninety two. I think there's a few hundred. Uh, 300 if i'm not mistaken uh that's that's all over and it's not just fire it's police it's ems uh volunteer fire departments are having an issue getting uh people to volunteer for them did you know the average age of a volunteer firefighter is 56 yeah i the governor fire marshal office has just implemented the volunteer fire council or, or task force to try and find a solution for staffing but again we're not the, the city of athens is not the only one but we are having i think a greater difficulty compared to other departments up north that you know, pay a lot more or have different benefits or or whatever the case may be or people just don't want to move here that i couldn't tell you years ago when the belks department store was uptown and uh, that building stood where there's now a parking lot um, and, and I do mean really right uptown um, I received a call at my home when the fire began and I rolled out of bed and went up and helped without the schooling or anything, uh, fight that fire. And um, I've done that on two other occasions. And I remember the last one was uh, turned out to be a false alarm, but it was um, the Bob Evans location. <laughs> and um, there was something wrong with the system on in, on the roof. And they, but... Um, I got a call and I showed up. The um, is there a volunteer fire department um, that's affiliated with Athens? And by affiliated, I mean um, now, like I'm not a member of the Richland area fire department, or name any other volunteer fire department in our region. Um. But, I mean, does the Athens Fire Department have any volunteer basis? No. Uh, is that something you wish to keep that way, or would you like yes, to Yes, we need more career. And, again, as I talked earlier about the problem with getting people to volunteer, like I said the average age is 56. You see a lot of the departments in central Ohio um, – especially above like the Lancaster area, they've gone from volunteer departments to either part-time, full-time status. Um, 
because they're having issues with getting volunteers to bring out their equipment during the daytime. It used to be you lived in the neighborhood, you worked in the neighborhood, you volunteered in the neighborhood. So there were people around and, hey, we're closing up shop. We're going to go fight the fire and I'll be right back as soon as the fire is done with. People are working out of town now or have other things to do and they're not volunteering. So to rely on, I volunteer for my community where I live. But when I'm at work, I, I can't leave work yeah. at the department that I'm working for to go out and, and volunteer. Uh, and a lot of other people are having that issue. So to have to try and rely on volunteers implemented into the Athens Fire Department is, is not a solution because we have volunteers out there. They're in other departments, and we can call on them at any point in time. We run mutual aid on structure fires with them, whether we go to them or they come to us. But again, when they come in, there may only be one or two firefighters coming in on a fire truck because, well, that's all they can get off work and all that is available at this time to come in. Hey, so-and-so is working in Columbus today. He's not going to be available until 5 o'clock tonight. Mm-hmm. Now, the state fire marshal, uh, they oversee uh, every fire department, right? Yes. And... Um, are there real? Are the rules or um, I'll, I'll leave that word in? Are the rules that they impose upon a fire station? Um, are you in agreement? Are you uh, think they're too tough? Uh, what you know? How do you feel about it? As far as the only rules that I can think of, and I do not know what the stipulations are to have a volunteer fire department. I am in agreement of having some type of regulation and rules over that to make sure that if somebody starts up a fire department, they have the properly trained personnel able to come and help take care of your place. You wouldn't want somebody to come into your home, paid, volunteer, regardless of what it is to say. You wouldn't want an untrained carpenter coming to your house and and build a fine staircase for you. Yeah, You You don't want... Sorry, somebody, a firefighter coming in to that has no idea what to do, and they knock every window out of the house. So I am in favor of of the rules, and the only ones I can think of at this time, uh, they have a continuing education room, which is set by the Department of Public Safety, and it says once you receive this level of certification, you have to have this many continuing education hours per year to make sure that you're keeping up on your training and you you know how to do your job. Uh, one of the problems that some volunteers are having is, one, just, just giving up their time, let alone to respond to calls. Now you get to find time to keep up with those number of hours of training per year and pop up fundraisers so we can keep the doors open mm-hmm. and the calls that we have to go on. And then my personal and work life. So there is some point of contention on that, but I do believe there has to be some type of continual training, which Sometimes it's easy. We did one day's worth of training down at West Elementary. Dr. Gibbs gave us West Elementary for uh, about a month or so that we can go down there and do training on, forceful entry, whatever we wanted to do, uh, short of burning it down. Um, so we <laughs> we had a, a lieutenant who did the planning on it. Mm-hmm. We set up a simulated commercial structure fire, and we had 23 people there from four different departments that had gone down, gave up their day, and we just did commercial fire training. And then we had, uh, in the old trailers, we did residential fire training. And it was a great training. It was very long and hard for, for the whole day. But it's something simple like that. To show, hey, here's how we're doing our hose evolutions and the rescue of firefighter who's down and forceful entry and vending roofs, things of that nature. So I, if I can say anything on this this broadcast is thank you, Dr. Gibbs, for for doing. And he did the same thing with East Elementary, allowing us to actually have a building collapse class, where we had people from firefighters from Nelsonville and Portsmouth and around the region that came in for the class, and we did a one week certification class on what happens when a building falls down. How do I get somebody out of it? Right. Because we respond with those capabilities out of our fire department also. I don't want to um, misrepresent. Um, but w- one of the things that I helped do was fill air tanks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the, 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 
the real firefighting skills that you learn in these classes and, and all of that in training. Um, you know, I wasn't doing anything along those lines. But, um, you know, there were fellows going into that structure, the old Belks building, and dealing with the fire inside, and they needed air tanks. And, in, you know, it was very easy for me to work in that one um, truck that was designed to refill air tanks and, and keep them supplied. Um, I, um, for what it's worth, I, I, I would be, even though you say the average age is 56 for volunteers, I'm 72, <laughs> but I'd still do it. Um, anyway, well, listen, um, why, why do you feel there's a, a, a shortage of firefighters? I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, a generational thing, if it's people just they they think it's not a, a high-paying job, it's a dangerous job. I do career safety talks or career days with uh, some of the high schools, and I, and I ask them, says, anybody want to be a firefighter? Maybe one out of the whole group will raise their hand. And the other question is, no, I want to be this or I want to be that, or there's more money in computers, there's more money in YouTube, or... No, you can get killed doing that, and, and you can. I mean, we, we train. It's part of the reason why we train uh, and why we're trying to uh, implement more of the, the guidelines for cancer prevention, um, things of that nature. But I, I just don't know. We are trying to figure it out. Again, I'm, I'm not the only one. We have chief symposiums and talk with other chiefs uh, around the, the nation. It's like, yeah, we don't get anybody to apply for our job either. I don't know what it is. And, and I can understand what the, the media stuff is, what goes on in the media um, for the police department and why they're having an issue with it. But, you know, fire and EMS, I don't know whether it's a we're linking it all in the same, um, the same boat, and that's why, or is it just they want to see some type of reward and there's no reward financially for it, or what is the end product of doing a public service such as firefighter emt police officer mm-hmm. do you have any ideas on it? well i'd like to give it a little thought but uh, offhand no um you know it seems that um it's, this is not a unique problem for firefighters this seems to be applied to any number of different kinds of professions presently and I don't understand it. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about um, fire prevention. Okay. Um, let's see. There's annually a week uh, they call Fire Prevention Week, right? Yes. When is it's, that uh, each uh, year? It's usually the second full week of October. So it's the 9th through the 15th this year. So and uh, Coming the, right up. Yep, yep, and the the motto this year is "Fire won't wait, plan your escape." Yeah, and I, you know, asking people to think about that. Now, you know, my my house could sleep thirteen people, and it did recently when a lot of family showed up for my wife's memorial service. Now. Uh, but, you know, to get out of my house if something happened, how many people have really gone over that process with their children or their, or even their spouses? Um, where if the fire occurs in this part of the house, here's how you get out. If it had occurs in a different part of the house. How do you get out? How do we ensure personal safety of all parties living in a home? Um, and, and then another point is, of course, these um, fire detectors that um, they, um, they principally work on smoke and, and help me. 
Is it, so is, the, what are, yeah, for smoke detectors we're talking about, yeah. for ionization-style detectors. Yeah. The particulates in the air is what it usually measures. The, do it again, please. The particulates in the air. Okay. So it's not just smoke. Okay. Airspray will set off, believe it or not. Okay. Vaping, um, things of that nature. So. so in my house, I have, um, in my newer part of the house, because I doubled the size of my house some years ago. In the newer part, I have electrical with a battery backup. In the older part of the house, I have battery only. Um, but you need to remember, batteries have to be replaced, even when you have electrical supply. Um and that should be done on what frequency? We recommend twice a year. Twice you a change year. Your, yes, when you change your clocks. Now, I know a lot of people have cell oh. phones and things. They don't even change the clocks on anymore. But usually time change, and we recommend that you change your batteries. So spring you, forward, fall back. Yeah. Spring and fall. And... Um, Battery. Um, most of those are most of those are nine volt. And is there a certain um, quality of nine volt battery you would recommend? No. Okay. No, as long as it's a fully charged, uh, a newer nine volt. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you test it at least once a month, pressing the, the 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 sensor or pressing the test button on your smoke detector to make sure that. And depending on whatever the quality or name brand of that nine volt battery is, now some of those uh, in my thing. some of those in my home are mounted up high. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they don't get tested as as <laughs> often as I probably should, um, because I have to get a ladder and so on. Um, but I do uh, try to be diligent about changing the batteries. Spring and fall. Um, what else? What else should people be doing at their homes? Well, to your smoke detector issue, have you thought about switching out those smoke detectors that are up high, which should be replaced every ten years, regardless of what type of battery it takes? Really? Maybe replace those smoke detectors huh. with the ten-year lithium battery style. That doesn't have to have the battery changed. It's just when it goes dead, it, it starts sounding and saying, okay, it's end of life or end of service. It's time for you to replace it, and you don't have to change those batteries out. So maybe thinking about those ones where you may have to get a ladder out to high ceilings in your house is to switch those out with, or even all of them, with your 10-year lithium battery. But, yes, it's recommended that you're switching out, uh, replacing your smoke detectors every 10 years. Okay. Regardless of how good you think they are. Correct. And then the now other I've, thing is... I've uh, had, um, and I'm sure other people in our audience have had this situation where once in a while it will chirp. And just momentary chirp. And that is an indication that um, the battery is um, in need of being replaced, right? Correct. Okay. Are there other things that you would recommend? I mean, um, well, uh, same as you would inside of a business or in a school planning your escape. Yes. Where's your family supposed to meet when you have a fire? If you're you're knowing you're two ways out of every room in your house, uh, two ways out of the house in general. Where does everybody supposed to meet? They meet supposed to meet the tree in the front yard, and if somebody's not there, your assumption is they're still in the house. Mm. not in the backyard, and you're, you, know, you let the fire department know when they get there. I still have one person inside the house, and their bedroom is over here to the right. Um, having a way to contact, which is going to a neighbor's house or having your cell phone, getting out, shutting all the doors behind you, sleeping with your doors closed, because the fire is going to seek that flow path or that source of oxygen. So if you sleep with your window open this time of year like I do, and you have your door open, or the fire starts in the kitchen, it's going to go to that window in your bedroom to 
find the oxygen source right across where you're sleeping. So keeping the doors closed when you sleep. Um, smoke detectors help with the, the early alert. But even when you leave, if you leave and get out of the house because the, the smoke detector's going off or the fire or something, shutting the doors behind you and isolating it into that room so it's not taking the rest of the house or getting into the other rooms from wherever the fire may have started. Fire extinguishers, having those handy, trying to mount those now, where are, you can see. Are there, different, most people, are there different kinds of fire extinguishers? There are. And there are many different. The most common is the dry chemical type, okay. the uh, called the ABC, and that's because it's good for ash products, B, boiling liquids, and C, current, like your electric toaster is on fire, and you can use it without getting shot. So it depends on the extinguisher you have as to what you're trying to put out. Do they have a lifespan? They do, uh, but there should be usually the ones that you'll buy for your home from Lowe's, Menards, and C&E, things of those nature are, are disposable types and can't be recharged. Okay. They're good for, I think they're good for 10 years also, but you still every year want to check and make sure it says it's, it's still charged. You're looking at your gauge. You're not missing your pin, your nozzle. Um, the dry chemical inside of it is still moving. You can shake it to see if you can feel it moving inside. Because if it sits for a long time, it'll tend to cake mm-hmm. and harden up. So you may not have as much as what you do. When you actually go to squeeze the trigger, you just get that little bit that's on top, and that's it. So there is a typical maintenance, and you can take them to places like Fine or Polinis to have them to maintain to yes. yeah. make sure they're up to date. And some of them are rechargeable, not electrically, Correct. but component-wise. Yes. All right. Yeah. Now, let's see. You've been chief eight years, but you've been with the department a total of how long? It'll be 29 in November. Okay. I... Um, when I was thinking about things to talk about, I, I hope you don't mind this next question. Can you share with us a couple of your worst stories that have occurred here? At the fire department? As a firefighter, as at the fire, you know, worst situation. Yes. Uh, probably my worst day would be May 19th, 2001. And that was the high street fire where we had two college students die in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the worst day. That was the first time I pulled somebody out of a fire. And that, that gentleman there, Travis, he didn't, uh, he didn't make it. Uh, and his girlfriend was, was gone when we, when we got in there. And that was what we got out of that. That just, I want to say luckily, that happened at shift change. So we had a shift that was on duty and a shift that was coming in. It's, I think, about 10 minutes before shift change. So we had quite a few firefighters there at the time. I think our minimum staffing at that time was six. So we had about 12 firefighters within the first, I don't know, let's say 15, 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we had plenty there. Got a quick knockdown on the fire, but they had taken the battery out of the smoke detector because it kept going off for whatever reason, smoking, cooking, I don't know. Um, and, and they just, you know, the fire started in the room and then they just right there in the room is where we found them. So, um, what we got out of that was the 10 year lithium battery smoke detectors required uh, for all rental units, which is very progressive because they're just now trying to implement that in the state for, I believe for all rental units and for maybe new construction. If I'm not mistaken, they're trying to put the leg- push the legislation through on that. Um, so I may be testifying at the state house to see how to let them know how well that has worked here. I mean, that has helped us out quite a bit, knowing that there are at least batteries. When you have 5,500 of your 8,000 living units in the city of Athens are rental units, and they have 10-year lithium battery smoke detectors in them at a minimum, if not hardwired, that helps out. It takes a little takes a little bit of the, the edge away or the worry of, okay. am I going to find something? I, I want to follow up with that statistic because I had not heard that before. Um, 5,000 out of 8,000 living units are rental? 
Yeah, I believe the last time I checked, and I have to go back and look and see if this changed. It's been a few years. It was 8,000 living units, and I think this is through the census.gov. Okay. 5,500 are rental units, 8,000 are, are owner-occupied. Or 8,000 8, living units, 5,500 are rental. That's what I thought you said the first time. And, and so I'm glad I clarified it in my head. Um, but that's an extraordinary number. You know, that's uh, 60% or better mm-hmm. are rental units. Would you have guessed that, Scott? Huh? That's amazing. No, I, uh, <clears throat> no, I would not have. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um. Okay, now this cross training. You you mentioned this earlier. Mm-hmm. There was a um, West Elementary, I suppose, during the a summertime when it's not in full use. Um, was used as a training program. And then on another occasion, East Elementary uh, was mm-hmm. used. Um, and and so, you know, who who designs this training? Well, this particular instance was designed by uh, one of our lieutenants. Uh, he had been working on it for about a month or so, getting everything ready, designing the the scenario, uh, prepping the the site of what doors were going to go through and how it was going to be smoked up and stuff. So he worked on that one there. But we have a, a training officer, and that's the training officer's duty is just designed to say, hey, this is the type of training we want to do. And then we'll have a, usually a cadre, and, and that lieutenant worked with another training officer from uh, the Plains Fire Department to come up with how things were going to, to work in this. So it's a joint effort. It depends on who's sponsoring the training. So we've done – we have done um, – cross-training in other instances where it's rafting out of a pond or or hose loads. And it depends on what department's heading it up is who's doing the, the design of it and, and laying it out. Sure. Well, um, so is there an area that you wish our people knew more about um, that, that uh, you're trying to get more training on. Um, I, and I'm not, trying to identi- I'm, I'm, try- I'm not trying to identify an area where we're weak in firefighting. I'm just trying to say, you know, like water rescue. Like yeah, uh, yeah, and we have a difficulty with water rescue, and here's why. It's because we don't have those water conditions all the time to train here. So when you have the swift water conditions and flooding or whatever else, that's, sporadic and it's kind of difficult to say hey if the river's flooded come in we're going to go out and do some training or we're going to schedule so we have to send our water rescue technicians to indiana to um state fire marshal's office and fire academy or whatever to get that training i see and then plan for it down here and we try and get out and we'll get out in the boats once a year or whatever play around in the water and practice our stuff but it's not the same conditions we're doing decent i believe as far as keeping up with our technical rescue stuff and we do what uh, you know our daily shift drills of throwing ladders and pulling hose and things of that nature i'd like one thing we are lacking is a place where we can actually do live burns which is required we should be doing that i believe it's two to four times a year we have to go in and actually put a fire out we don't have a facility for that yet and we were out looking yesterday at some training facilities around the state the Columbus area and Zanesville to see what they were doing. And that's one of our goals as part of this public safety levy is to build a training facility. Now so uh, we can use it countywide. Let me let me just check here. Um I somehow or other I was under the impression that out where um southeast Ohio beverage and UPS and all of that is located back in there, uh you had established a training center. Um, is that not the case? No, that's the case. We have the land, uh, thanks to TS Tech. Uh, EMS built their station there. We have a training pad out there, and we're doing mostly extrication. We've dug holes in the ground to do trench rescue. Uh, some little things out there. We need an actual building oh. facility 
that we can actually burn in because there's so many requirements under NFPA 1403 of what you can and cannot do, what you can't burn, has to be clean smoke, that type of stuff, has to fit all these certain parameters. So that costs money. You're looking at probably well over a million dollars for a, a good training facility out there that's going to cover everything that we need. So we're, you know, we're trying to get ideas together and what do we need? So you're asking where are we lacking, and that's the ability to go in and actually do some search and rescue stuff in that type of environment, which we did at West Elementary, but actually extinguishing fire and doing different firefighting techniques. Right, right. So that training center is underway, but it's not completed. And, Correct. Um, okay. Now, well, we haven't started throwing any structure in there yet. If if um, if you were to have it, um, would it be possible for, let's say, the Pomeroy Fire Department or the um, Nelsonville or whatever to come in and use it as well? Yes. And so could they also help? A bit with the financing of it well and that goes back to they have a training facility in wellston okay that was paid for through state dollars you can go use that training facility but they charge it, it's quite a bit of money to to charge to for instructors and everything else for a fire department to go in there and and use it for the day because there's going to be maintenance so I'm sure there will be some type of fee if they don't pony up money up front to say, hey, we're going to have a whatever the case may be, some type of fundraiser, some type of levy or something that says we'll keep up with the maintenance and we're going to charge this, this yearly fee in order to use it. Um, that's going to be difficult to do. It may be something that says, okay, well, hey, we need you to, to use it. Every time you're going to use it, it's going to be this, many, this much money, and it's going to pay for the materials you're going to be using and replacing walls or whatever the case may be or the annual inspection that's required on it to make sure we can still use a type deal um i just realized we have about three minutes left <clears throat> excuse me now i'm coughing um how many runs did you have say in a certain 12-month period in a certain 12-month period well oh, before oh. covid before COVID, I think we had a record of, I believe it was 1,152 runs. Then when COVID hit and nobody was here, it had dropped off 33%, okay. I believe. And now we're back up to, uh, we're back above where we were that year. This time in 20, I think it was 20, might have been 2018 or 2019, we had that many runs. We are above where we were at that point in time. So we're probably going to break the 1,100 runs again this year. Okay. How many of those resulted in actually a problem? That depends on your definition of a problem. Yeah, I know. Because we, we're doing the, the mutual aid stuff now. We've had, uh, last I checked, it was 20 structure fires this year. Then you've got rescues, usually about 11%. And our 11% is rescues, is vehicle rescue, elevator rescue, rope rescue, things of that nature. 50% okay. um, of our calls are alarms. I'm not saying false alarms because everybody seems to think that just because the alarm goes off and fire's not shooting out the window, it's a false alarm. That's not true. It went off for a reason. Mm -hmm. It told you, get back to your stove, you're cooking, and you just burnt your food. There's a reason for it. That's why we have smoke detectors. So, um but we've gone to what people cite as false alarms, and we open up the door, and there's a fire. So that made it happen. That's the service purpose. How often that happens, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to look at all the statistics on it and, and read the reports. Folks, I just realized I've made an error here. I should have more often mentioned to you who we're listening to, who we're speaking with. It's Bob Reimer. Bob is the chief of the Athens City, uh, City Athens Fire Department, and Bob, it's always a pleasure to have you on. So, well, um, thank you, sir. Let's keep in touch, and we'll do it again. All right. All right, I appreciate it, Dave. Okay. Thanks for your time and your flexibility. You bet. Bye bye. Bye. By the way, tomorrow we're going to talk about the Athens Area Stand Down Program.
Terry St. Peter is going to be in here. And uh, we'll learn about it together, all right? And uh, with that, I'll simply say have a wonderful day. The fog has disappeared, 88% of it here on Columbus Road, and it's time to In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-N's. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Monica Ricks in New York, where the U.N. General Assembly is now in session. Our world is in big trouble. Climate change, one of the biggest topics on the agenda this week as world leaders reconvene entirely in person for the first time since the pandemic started. Secretary General Antonio Guterres. The United Nations Charter and the ideals it represents are in jeopardy. We have a duty to act, and yet we are gridlocked in colossal global dysfunction. President Biden will speak there tomorrow. Ukraine's president is also expected to give a virtual update on the war. Hurricane Fiona is strengthening. It is now a Category 3 hurricane near Turks and Caicos, but still dumping a lot of rain on Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic this morning. WCBS meteorologist Craig Allen is tracking her. Next in line, Bermuda. And this is going to be a problem because it is quite possible that Fiona will continue to strengthen somewhat. It is possible that we could be nearing Category 4 strength as the storm makes a direct run at Bermuda. The storm could hit Thursday night into Friday. At least two people have died in this storm. There are more questions now in the legal battle over the FBI surge at Mar-a-Lago. CBS's Scott McFarland explains. The special master appointed by the federal judge to review some of the records on behalf of the court has asked Trump's legal team to provide information about any records the former president declassified. But the Trump team at a court filing Monday night says it doesn't want to do so, that it might impact a, quote, defense to the merits of any subsequent indictment. Life is getting back to normal now in Britain. I'm Vicki Barker in London. The flags are back at full staff at offices, schools and government buildings here after 10 days of national mourning, but not at royal residences. The royal family's observing a further week of mourning for the late Queen Elizabeth. That was one of Charles III's first orders as king. If you're feeling depressed, you are not alone. Research now shows that 10% of Americans suffer from it and it's getting worse. Researchers at Columbia University, looking at data from 2015 through 2020, found depression rates were highest in adolescents and young adults. The authors observed depression escalating even before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's CBS's Astrid Martinez. And that is the new iPhone 14 Pro. Apple says it physically shakes when the rear camera is used in third-party apps like TikTok. A software fix should go out next week, but it's the second fix in just a few days. These latest models were only released last Friday. The Dow down nearly 400 points. This is CBS News. When you think of hiring, think of Indeed. Their end-to-end hiring system helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Oh, hey, about to start a load. On hot? You know, washing in cold water with Tide can save you up to $150 a year on your energy bill. $150? The lower the temp, the lower your bills. Simple. Turn to cold and get $15 when you bundle Tide and Downy. 